we're so used to seeing things that, in my opinion, aren't quite right in our treatment of animals. Yeah, the less we eat, the less violence is being done, and the less destruction to the environment. Everyone eats, and everyone has to make a moral decision every time that we sit down to the table. Welcome to the Animal Voices radio show, Western Canada's only radio program on animal advocacy and compassionate living. This is 100.5 FM Co-op Radio CFRO in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada on unceded Coast Salish territories. Today is Friday, May the 22nd, 2020. I am your host, April Lafleur, and I am joined here today by my guest co-host and past regular host, Jen Dobell. Welcome. Hi, good to be back. Once again, we are here for another week of original programming at Animal Voices in these pandemic times. The radio station is still physically locked down, but we bring you this show via the wonders of recording and Skype technology. Many issues with regards to animals and how we treat animals continue to appear during these last few months of COVID-19. And now, a month and a half after international lockdowns have taken place, we have started to see massive virus outbreaks in slaughterhouses in North America, which has caused dozens of slaughterhouses to be shut down. And we are also seeing what is politely being called depopulations of millions of farmed animals, mostly pigs who have now reached slaughter weight and age and have nowhere to go to be slaughtered. This is not just because slaughterhouses have shut down, but it's also due to the gross decrease in meat demand as restaurants in our nations have been largely closed down now since the end of March. So what depopulation or euthanization actually means is that instead of being killed at the slaughterhouse and sent to market, these millions of animals are being gassed, suffocated in their barns to death, sold off for members of the public to kill and butcher, buried alive into mass graves, or shredded and made into compost. It's a travesty, in my opinion, to further commodify and degrade these sentient beings who already have it bad enough. But also, these news stories about euthanizations that keep coming out are surely being taken notice by the public. What are your thoughts, Jen? Well, I feel the same way you do. I hate to see animals being commodified. And in this day and age, 2020, we know better. We, we need to stop supporting animal agriculture. We know that this isn't a healthy way to live. We're in a climate crisis. And here we are now killing animals as though they're just products because we can't use them. Yeah, exactly. But this is why I, you know, I've been spending almost every week at Animal Voices trying to do programming that explains that why we have this problem. And it all starts with the animals. It starts with the way we treat animals. It starts with the way we treat our earth, especially in a climate crisis. And I, I hope that at least with the alternative media coverage that we've been providing, which you can listen to all at animalvoices.org, that, you know, keep listening every week and listen to this series. And every week, like I said, something new is coming up. So the theme of this week's show is just this. We're talking about depopulations and slaughterhouses shutting down and actually workers being mandated to go back to work. And we have an incredible feature interview coming up for you with Executive Director 
Rachel McChrystal of Woodstock Farm Sanctuary, which is home to 400 rescued animals on their property. They are currently running a farm outreach campaign in which they are reaching out to corporate meat producers to ask them if they will surrender some of their animals and let them go to sanctuary. A mass rescue of 1,000 surrendered egg-laying hens just happened last week, for example. Rachel will tell us about this rescue and about the depopulation situation and the state of slaughterhouses. Plus, because it's International Respect for Chickens Month, she will also tell us about another recent chicken rescue story and also Woodstock's current campaign called Consider the Egg. This interview is coming up in just 11 minutes, so please do stay tuned. Now, two weeks ago, a highly anticipated film finally came out on the CBC. It's called Meet the Future, and we had its Canadian filmmaker, Liz Marshall, on the show in 2017 to speak to us about the documentary when it was in pre-production. This film tells the story of the next agricultural revolution, that is, of an innovative company called Memphis Meats that is on the road to successfully creating cell-cultured meats, which is real meat, but not made from animals. We'll play the trailer now so that you can learn more about the film. Lab-grown meat brings to mind frankenfood, playing with nature. You're basically cloning meat, right? Is that what you're doing? We are not cloning anything. We are growing these cells. So these cells are growing and becoming muscle tissue. It's just so funny. Like, you have to change your thinking and your vocabulary to even discuss the subject. It's, it's just such an odd <laughs> uh, new, new concept. I'd like to be an investor because I have a feeling this might be one of the biggest IPOs in the history of the world. <laughs> this has been something that I've been dreaming about since I was a kid. Can you grow meat from animal cells? My whole life, all I wanted to do was be a chef and I wanted to focus on meat. My training is in biomedical engineering. I was actually a tissue engineer. I took an urban agriculture class that really opened my eyes to what we were doing to the planet just by feeding ourselves. We want to separate the animal from meat making. The division cycle of the cell rather than the reproductive cycle of the animal. This is a huge, huge paradigm shift. These small tissue samples will produce extremely large amounts of meat. From the consumer perspective, we're facing a brave new world. Technology that was once the stuff of science fiction and now becoming a reality. There's a lot of fear around the intersection of food and technology. The manufacturers of lab-grown products should be required to invest in their own market and not ride the coattails of beef's success. The meat industry knows that they can't meet the demand. If the demand for meat is going to double by 2050, there is no method of production at their disposal now that would satisfy that hunger for meat. I just want to make sure you're looking at this as a very big historic thing in this world. Jen, you were the person who actually did our interview with Liz Marshall on the 2017 show, which anyone can listen to by going to animalvoices.org and typing meet the future in the search bar. So you've had the personal experience of speaking about clean meat with Liz and you've seen the film. So let's talk about clean meat. What are your thoughts? I like the term because 
there are a lot of people who are quite resistant to the consideration of this being the future of where they get their meat from. When I do animal advocacy, I'm speaking with meat eaters and I say, would you support something more humane, such as animal flesh that's grown in a lab? And they go, oh, that's disgusting. And then I love to get into this discussion with them. I describe to them all the videos and photos I've seen of animals on their way to slaughter coming off the slaughter truck that they've been on for up to three days, covered in feces and urine and blood and open wounds and pus. And I said to them, do you think that they bathe these animals before they cut them open? You'd think they would for sanitary reasons. No, they don't. You think that's going to happen in a lab? There's not even a whole animal being grown. There's no torture. There's none of that bacteria, viruses, pus, all that kind of stuff. And they get this look on their faces and they look so disgusted. And I said, you were the one that was disgusted at clean meat grown in a lab. Are you sure that you would rather have an animal go to slaughter and have the risk of all of this bacteria that you could be exposed to? Do you ever have those discussions with people? Well, you know what? It's interesting because that is a point about clean meat. Actually, that's why the name was changed from lab-grown meat or cell-cultured meat to clean meat because the industry wanted to make the term and the idea more palatable, right? Because mm-hmm. you're right. Mm-hmm. People don't like the idea of, they're fine with the idea of what you described as extremely dirty, unhygienic disgusting conditions for the animals that then are on their plate, but then they're not okay with something that was cultured from the cell. So mm-hmm. we actually received a press release this week from New Harvest, which is another company that is making clean meat. And they're speaking about a pet food company called Bond Pet Foods that have just come out with new chicken dog treats that are made of clean meat. There's actually companies that are just into making clean meat for pet food. And Joshua Eric who is the co-founder of a clean meat pet food company called Because Animals, says the chances of scientific success and consumer acceptance increases when the stakes are lowered, when the meat products that cultured meat replaces are not so emotionally valued. So that's the ticket. For instance, he says bacon bits, jerkies, or pet food so it's okay to feed your dog clean meat and then maybe you as a person will get used to it as well for your own consumption well and besides you know the cleanliness issue and the animal rights issue let's talk environmentally for a moment here i encourage everybody listening to today to check out the netflix documentary conspiracy and if you haven't heard it i just want to read out some stats from the scientific studies which the film was based around in case you are one of these people that is hesitant to try some grown meat and you're also hesitant to give up eating meat. 70 billion farmed animals are reared annually worldwide. More than 6 million animals are killed for food every hour. We're currently growing enough food to feed 10 billion people, yet much of this is fed to livestock while people are starving unnecessarily. Land required to feed one person per year. For vegans, one-sixth of an acre. Vegetarians, three times as much as a vegan. Meat eaters, 18 times as much as a vegan. A person who follows a vegan diet produces the equivalent of 50% less carbon dioxide, uses 1 11th oil, 1 13th water, and 1 18th land compared to a meat lover for their food. Animal agriculture is responsible for 18% of greenhouse gas emissions, more than the combined exhaust from all transportation. Agriculture is responsible for 80 to 90% of U.S. water consumption, and animal agriculture is responsible for 20 to 33% of all freshwater consumption in the world today. 
2,500 gallons of water are needed to produce a pound of beef, 477 gallons of water required to produce one pound of eggs, almost 900 gallons of water needed to produce a pound of cheese, 1,000 gallons of water required to produce one gallon of milk. Livestock covers 45% of the Earth's total land. Livestock or livestock feed occupies a third of the Earth's ice-free land. Animal agriculture is the leading cause of species extinction, ocean dead zones, water pollution, and habitat destruction. So when we think about it that way, we may actually consider cell-grown meat. Wow, that's a lot of important statistics that for sure if, you know, if people care about our planet and their meat eaters, you can't be a meat-eating environmentalist, but you can be a clean meat-eating environmentalist, and that'll be the future. Mm-hmm. This is being called the next agricultural revolution, and it's true because it is. And the demand for meat in our global population is going to double by the year 2050. And the only way to actually sustain or meet that demand globally is going to be making clean meat. So we have a solution mm-hmm. here to an impending problem that's coming up. Now, there's a couple of scenes in the film where they're holding these tasting party sessions, and they're cooking this duck meat, clean meat, and that's being shown. They're deep frying it and breading it. I don't think I've ever eaten a duck before, but the people in the room certainly like it. They say, this is the real thing. It's meat because it is. What about you, Jen? Was your mouth watering during that scene? And would you eat clean meat yourself? I wouldn't eat it for a few reasons. It goes against my values to see animals as food now, even though I used to eat them. And yes, my mouth was watering and I missed the taste of almost all the foods. Well, the things that I called food, the beans and their secretions that I called food before. I do support this though. I do want people to make that choice to buy meat from a lab than have animals go through what they're going through right now. Yeah, Liz Marshall actually said in her talk yesterday that we both listened to online that clean meat is actually not made for vegans and vegetarians, which take up about 10% of the population of our planet. It's made for meat eaters. So this Mm -hmm. is the solution to the increasing demand for meat. Now, this film premiered two weeks ago on CBC Docs, and it's now viewable still for free online at CBC Gem. We have the link posted on our Facebook page, Animal Voices Vancouver, or you can just do a Google search for Meet the Future and CBC Docs to watch it. That's only available in Canada. And Liz was speaking about yesterday that they are actually working hard to get this film distributed all over the world. She wants everyone in every country to see it. I certainly support that. And she says there's going to be an announcement about this next week about how it can be viewed more widely. We will share that on our Facebook page next week at Animal Voices Vancouver. This is your big chance, so don't blow it. We're here to present the cutting-edge radio you want to hear. What about a program featuring just local Vancouver bands? No market for that. We have an expert on gospel music. No. Our public affairs programs dig deep with voices other stations won't touch. No. Programs with First Nations hosts? Sorry, no market for that. We've got a lot of shows in other languages for people all over the world. Folk music? (laughs) You're kidding, right? Who would sponsor that? Can't make big bucks with programs people want to hear? You have to go to Co-op Radio for that. Community-owned radio. Now at 100.5 FM. The switch is on. Will 
Created by your First Nations Health Managers Association, we introduce InfoPoint, a convenient and accessible helpful desk for First Nations health managers looking for credible sources of information on COVID-19. Don't have time to dig? Talk to a real person now at 1-855-446-2719 or email infopoint at fnhma.ca. Indigenous Health Today is another resource of information by region at ihtoday.ca. For our feature interview today, we have Rachel McChrystal on the show. She's an animal rescuer and the executive director of the Woodstock Farm Sanctuary located in upstate New York. Woodstock rescues farmed animals and gives them care and sanctuary so they can live out the rest of their lives in peace. They also connect animals with people to advance veganism and advocate for animal rights in alliance with other social justice movements. As of three weeks ago, in this time of the coronavirus pandemic, where the demand for meat consumption and availability of animal slaughterhouses have drastically plummeted, Woodstock has recently launched a farm advocacy program in which they are teaming up with a coalition of other sanctuaries to try to find homes for animals who the farmers will surrender rather than euthanizing or selling to the public to butcher. Rachel is here today to speak on this unusual situation that offers some hope, as well as to share some stories for International Respect for Chickens Month. Hello, Rachel, and welcome to the Animal Voices Show. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule today as we record this interview earlier in the week. To get right into it, can you explain the situation in the U.S. during this time of COVID-19 where the virus has been spreading rampantly among slaughterhouse workers and many slaughterhouses have been closed, sending hundreds of thousands of farmed animals to be euthanized or depopulated, as it's being called, rather than killed in a normal slaughterhouse fashion because they are not wanted or able to be regularly consumed due to the drastic shift in society's want or use for food animals, again, in quotes, that this pandemic has bestowed upon us. So I guess to sum that up, can you can you speak about that situation as it lies now in the States and has been for the last six weeks or so? Yeah, it's actually pretty horrifying. So what seems to be happening is that the large concentrated animal feeding operations, otherwise known as CAFOs, so the really big farms, they are producing animals at such a rate that when there is a disruption in the supply chain, like what's happening at the slaughterhouses or their market decreases with restaurant closings. They have all of these animals that are ready to go to slaughter because they've reached their slaughter weight and they have nowhere to go. And because they're such large operations, there's it becomes a, an emergency for them very quickly. So what they're doing, as you said, they, they're euphemistically calling it euthanasia or depopulation or culling. But what they're doing is instead of shipping these living, breathing babies to slaughterhouses, they are actually killing them on site. What we're seeing mostly in the U.S. is coverage of pig farms. And I think that for a few reasons, but that's the thing that's getting the most amount of coverage in the U.S. is all of these farms that literally have nowhere to send their babies to be killed or their market share has just fallen off because of restaurant closings or people just not buying the, the bodies of the pigs. And so they're, they're killing them. And it's so interesting because it's highlighting something that I think people don't like talking about, which is that killing animals is traumatic, 
and hard. And so there's all this very sympathetic coverage of these farmers who are now killing animals on site. Instead um, of killing they, them. Exactly. It was like, while it's in a slaughterhouse done by marginalized people, it's okay. But if the farmers have to do it, it's wrong. And of course, I think people are also emotionally responding to the fact that these bodies, once the animals are killed, their bodies are being mostly just thrown away because they can't enter the public food system because they're not going through a traditional like supervised slaughterhouse or auction house. So it's highlighting just these huge cracks in animal ag of how unsustainable and cruel the system is. And I think one thing I'm really hopeful about is that depopulation happens at farms all the time, meaning that animals that are not wanted are just killed and thrown away on farms all of the time. So if it's horrifying now, and if killing babies is horrifying now, maybe we'll suddenly realize that it's horrifying all the time. Well, it's been tragic to me as a vegan seeing all these news stories coming out and, and as an animal advocate as well to, to see these sentient beings even being further commodified than usual as it's now in the news showing that they're being gassed, they're even shredded in masses. There was mass killings of some pigs. I mean, I'm sure there's been many where they're actually, you've probably heard of this, pigs being buried alive in mass graves. Horrible. And and also made into compost and being shredded. Like I said, that's just tragic to me. But of course, as you're saying, that's basically what happens to them anyways. But how does this make you feel, I guess, to have these mass killings even more open to the public eye now and therefore everyone's eyes? I think we've so become accustomed to the marketing that's been put out by these giant meat industries that eating meat is just a natural, it's natural and it's good. And I think part of that is we think that the slaughter process is somehow antiseptic, that these happy animals just walk into a building on the end of the building, they become pork chops. <laughs> and people are don't think about what actually happens in that building, not only to the animals, but also the people that have these terrible jobs of killing again and again and again. And so it's so horrifying to me. And when I see that coverage, and I see all those, those faces of all those baby pigs at the farms that are just seen as at this point, trash, because they're not profitable to the farmer. So they're just trash. It breaks my heart. But I also think if we do a good job as activists, we can harness this moment where people are horrified that this is happening. Don't you agree? I just think people really think that there's some antiseptic way that these beings, these living beings, breathing babies just become their dinner and they, they don't bother thinking about it. And we're taught not to think about it. So if this can open up a little bit of that, that would be good. But honestly, we're talking about millions of animals because the pigs are in the news and the pigs are in the news because pigs grow so quickly and their slaughter weight is a very, very distinct point in time. It's between four to six months when they're like 150 to 200 pounds to 220 pounds. And then they actually start getting too big to, for the traditional slaughterhouses and they were getting too old to cram into these mass barns and sheds because they'll start fighting. Because you can put a bunch of babies in a building, you can't put a bunch of adults in the building, right? So it becomes an, an urgent situation for pigs quicker than anybody else, but it's also an urgent situation for birds. It's gonna be an urgent situation for cows. I think that's just coming, that's coming next. Pigs are just what kind of hit that emergency level quicker because of how they're bred. 
So you have a farm outreach initiative that has come into play just about three weeks ago. You put out the word to arrange finding sanctuary for animals who farmers are willing to surrender. Can you tell us about this farm outreach initiative, please? Of course. So the work of sanctuary is really, I think, it's very hopeful because we know we can't save billions or millions of animals, but we can save a few. And through the saving of them, we can teach people and save so many millions more, right? And so we were trying to think, what are the things that we can do as a sanctuary? And we came up with the idea of really trying to make the connection between farms and sanctuaries or rescues that have place for one or two pigs or, or 20 birds and try to try to facilitate that. What we're finding is that there's a lot of sanctuaries that are doing outreach themselves to farms and that are willing to work with us and other sanctuaries. There's not a lot of farms that are willing to relinquish animals. So we're really trying. We put out a call, uh, yeah, like you said, three weeks ago, we contacted over 70 different farms with emails saying, if you're depopulating and you want to save some lives, you can literally give us 20 birds instead of killing them. And then this last week, we actually put a petition out trying to bring more attention to this and trying to urge farms to consider surrendering to sanctuaries because there are sanctuaries in every state in this country and there are a lot of homes for animals. So we're not able to save, you know, 20,000 baby pigs tomorrow, but we could save some. You are listening to Animal Voices on Vancouver's Co-op Radio, 100.5 FM CFRO, 100% listener-sponsored radio broadcasting live from the east side on unceded Coast Salish territories. Can you talk about the response that you've gotten back from farmers. I was trying to help my friend Brian Wong, who got in touch with you to try to save some pigs in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, because the farmer was trying to sell off his 200 pigs for profit to just local people. And he said specifically, I want people to buy these to eat them. And then Brian approached him and said, well, I'd like to take some to give to Sanctuary. We can fit, I think it was 12 in a trailer. And the farmer was, um, he was basically not very receptive to this. He said, no, I actually want them to be killed. And, and then he said, oh, I need to check out this sanctuary to see if it's good enough for my pigs, who he just said he wants to be killed. And then the conversation was cut short there. So I'm wondering what the feedback has been like for you. And far, I guess this would be a whole shift of mindset where farmers are used to, you know, commodifying and selling off property and hmm, surrendering as gifts to where these animals can live out the rest of their lives in peace. How has that been going for you? Yeah, so always negotiating with farmers to release animals is very hard. They tend to be very scared of animal rights activists because I think they don't want attention put on normal farming practices. Brian's experience has been pretty much what activists are getting when they are hearing back anything from farms. The really big corporate industrial farms will not respond. So like we've sent emails to Purdue, Smithfield, all these giant places. I mean, Purdue bought big ads and, and, and papers across the country, including the New York Times, kind of decrying how sad it is that they're having to kill all these animals. They're not responding to anybody. So there's big corporate farms won't engage. Smaller farms will at least respond 
But mostly what I'm getting is the same thing that Brian got. I mean, I have one farmer who was being very polite just said, these are farm pigs. And I said, yeah, I know there were over 20 farm pigs at the sanctuary where I am right now. I would make sure that they would be placed with someone who knew how to take care of farm pigs. And then the conversations cut short. So I think that's pretty much across the board has been the response, except for a few small rescues and a chicken rescue that hopefully we can talk about. But I think what it is, is that to do this work, you have to conceptualize of these animals as objects and not as potential companions. Just like if you were farming dogs, you would be hostile to the idea of people coming in and making your dogs into pets, right? You just have to be. And so that means that you also kind of buy some of your propaganda that chickens won't live past six months because they'll get too big and they'll die, which isn't true if you take care of them properly. That these pigs are mean and can't live, you know, and can't be kept to adulthood, that they have to be kept in gestation crates to eat their babies. Like you have to, I think, absorb that cows don't make good mothers. So you're actually doing her a favor by taking her baby away and giving him formula before you end up killing him for veal in lieu of having him suck all off his mom, you have to kind of absorb all that and not think about these beings as companions, beings that could live on a sanctuary for 15 years. But that's been the primary response has sadly been either silence from the big farms or small farms just really, they would way rather, frankly, mostly kill the animals than engage. But we're hoping if we brought on more and more attention to this problem, that some smaller farms that are truly conflicted about actually having to, to conduct this terrible business of killing on site will surrender to us because there's, you know, it's got to be terrible. Well, there are some rescue stories, as you've alluded to just last week, and I just found this out this morning, that there was this huge rescue of chickens from a factory farm in Iowa. Can you tell us about that, please? Yeah, so this this broke really quickly. A, a post went viral at the beginning of the week that there was 140,000 layer hens in a farm in Iowa, sort of in the middle of nowhere. And uh, 140,000 chickens sounds like a lot. That's actually not even a bigger industrial farm. That's like one really, really big barn, essentially. So what was happening is the farmer was going bankrupt and not able to sell the eggs that he normally was due to a contract or something, which we're assuming is COVID-19 related. And so he wanted to basically get rid of the majority of his flock. And so he put out this announcement saying, you can come get the chickens. And so activists really stepped up. The first ones on the ground, as far as I know, was Iowa Farm Sanctuary that's only a couple hours away. And they went in with Barn Sanctuary in Michigan, Farm Bird Sanctuary in Wisconsin. There was basically about a dozen sanctuaries that were just going in and pulling these birds. He hadn't been feeding them for a couple of days because he, you know, if you're going to kill birds, the quickest way to do that in that mass is just to stop feeding them. These are all battery cage hens, meaning that they were living in these tiny little cages in dark, dark, dark sheds in this dark barn. They had never seen the sun. They had never walked on the grass. Their nails are two inches long. They were all debeaked. All their combs, which is the thing on top of their head, were flopped over from malnutrition and lack of sunlight. So actors basically went in and grabbed who they can, who they could. And then Animal Place, which is a very large sanctuary out in California, got funding and was able to fly a thousand birds out. So a thousand birds is a lot. It's not a lot when there's 140,000 birds that, that were on the farm, but it still is so huge. And so they flew them out and they arrived in California on Saturday and they're all doing really well. So I think all in all, 
about 1500 birds are rescued. We have 10 on their way to the sanctuary where I work right now, which I'm really excited about. But they're all these beautiful little white girls. They're all between one to two years because that's, you know, two years is when they would have been killed on that farm anyway. They're all really sick. They all are malnourished. Again, they, they all have these giant long nails and they all have never walked on grass or seen sun. So that is a, a true example of like sanctuary collaboration and just people just hearing that there was a need and they could save some lives. But at this point, sadly, so we're recording this on Monday. By Sunday, all the birds were dead. He had stopped feeding them. And yeah, so, which is so terrible. And unfortunately, the small protections that apply to animals like cows and pigs in terms of how you can and you cannot kill them and how you can and you cannot transport them, the very small anti-cruelty protections that apply to those mammals, birds are completely exempt because they're not considered animals under the law. And so that means that you can gas birds and people fill up their sheds with foam so that the birds suffocate in the foam. You can just not feed them. You can do whatever you want. So I'm really grateful that a bunch of us were able to go in and save some lives and that those birds are going to actually live out their lives in sanctuary. Yes, I'm glad about that too. It does offer some hope at least and you have to look at the hope part so that you can actually do your work and mentally get through it, right? So just a few weeks ago, President Donald Trump enacted the Defense Production Act, which commands that food production resumes, including the operation of slaughterhouses, because there were several dozen slaughterhouses shut down due to mass COVID outbreaks. And the U.S. government, as well as the Canadian government, both deem that animal food production and slaughtering animals is an essential service. They believe that these dangerous facilities that have already infected thousands of workers with COVID-19 and taken lives in the past month must be up and running as usual. Perhaps you have some better insight on this decision since you are in the States, but what are your thoughts on this rather archaic system of governing when getting a pig butchered into ham takes priority over vulnerable workers' lives? They know it's a fact that more human lives will be lost by implementing this federal direction? I can't think of anything less essential than meat production. It's unnecessary. It's dangerous. Obviously, it's harmful to the planet. And what I think we're seeing more and more, and hopefully there's more and more empathy for us, it's terrible for the people that work in those, those slaughterhouses. In general, people don't choose to do those jobs. You know, it's, it's brutal. I think that 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 focus on how important it is, though, really highlights how our economy, how much money goes into meat production and how much of it, it our, how much of our economy is made up out of it between subsidies and just like big corporations that are built off, you know, built off animals, essentially. But if there be, could be just some move to transitioning those industries to plant based industries, then there would be no economic reverberations. You could, you could just transition everybody into plant-based production. And, and if we're going to be subsidizing anything, we should be subsidizing that. You, you couldn't pay me enough to go into one of those slaughterhouses right now. They're so dangerous for the people in there. It's just torture for the animals. They walk in, they're tortured, and then they die. It's terrible. And for people who don't care so much about the torture of the animals, I, I ask people, do you care about human rights? Because 
it's actually sending the basically the slaughter workers are being sent in to die as well like they are marching into their their death basically and the day that slaughterhouses went back into action actually this as you probably know the really large outbreak at the smithfield plant pig slaughter plant in south dakota sioux falls where my sister lives so there was a very large outbreak there and like over 900 people in the county had covid like within days of the outbreak and they went back to work on may the 4th and my sister has been keeping the tally of how many people have contracted covid on a daily rate and the highest number was there was as many as 189 new infection and that was on May the 9th and that was recorded just in actually Sioux Falls a city not even the the county so it just blows my mind yeah they're seen as disposable people though so these 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 animals are disposable these humans are disposable it doesn't matter as, as long as the meat economy keeps running and these big corporations can keep making money and that people can still get their hamburgers. Like that's, that's what's being prioritized over human lives, animal lives, and the environment. Um, not to mention public health, because we all know about the greater risk of COVID-19 and the greater risk of other viruses coming out of animal agriculture anyway. No, it's really, it's, it's horrifying. And I, I do think that it is making, I'm seeing a lot of people who have been hostile to the idea of animal rights, start saying we should think about boycotting these industries because of, of the human rights violations. There's a, a big movement from some workers group to have like a meat-free May where let's let's all boycott these industries in order to basically support the workers and to keep them from going into these dangerous environments. Um, a bunch of children of slaughterhouse workers have been protesting the openings. So I think you know, the more I think sunlight is a great disinfectant with this stuff. I think the more that we are open about what we're actually talking about when we talk about animal agriculture, it's not this bucolic vision that everyone has in their head. It's horrific and it's dangerous for everybody. And it's the more we can actually expose that, I think the better, because I truly believe that most people would not support it. Well, on this topic, I was just listening to a recent interview with another animal activist in the States who exclaimed that no politicians anywhere in the U.S. were doing anything to help the animals in the ag industry. But this interview was recorded several months ago, and it was just in the news last week that Senators Cory Booker, who's vegan, and Elizabeth Warren have introduced a bill in the U.S. to phase out large-scale factory farming by the year 2040. I I was shocked when I saw that. I actually thought it might be like an onion joke or something, but it's true. I'm wondering if you can shed some light on how this would work. I understand that there will be a buyout of the farmers and assistance to help them shift to other types of farm work, as you were saying, that can actually even be more profitable for them. And of course, a lot kinder to the animals and the planet. Yeah, so this is Booker's bill. He introduced it, I believe, originally in December of 2019. So I appreciate his voice that he is bringing these issues to the to the floor, and I'm happy that Warren is supporting it. I think it's great. I think that we we tend to get a little overexcited about this stuff as vegans because we tend to read that like it's it sounds like <laughs> great, but the, the unfortunately the bill does look like it would accommodate just a transition of what's seen as big farms or factory farms or industrial farms to smaller farms, which 
are basically the same thing. I mean, there's sort of this arbitrary distinction in a lot of our language that there's small farming and big farming or industrial and not industrial, but it all is industrialized farming. Just some practices are a little more horrific than others. But but if if there was a way of subsidizing, I think the key is to really subsidize the plant-based products within a new farming paradigm, right? So not only going local, not only going smaller, all of which is super important for, I think, public health and also the planet, but also how do we how do we really subsidize the plant-based industries as well? And I don't think the bill really covers that. It has a lot of loopholes where you could just, you know, instead of a huge conglomerate farm, you could break it up into five and then it would be, it would fit under the bill. But I'm hoping that that's what people really continue to push for is like, let's transition. Right. Here in Canada, actually, we're, of course, we're behind the plant-based meat revolution because the U.S. always starts that. So we always get everything like a year later. So we got Beyond Meat burgers two years ago in the summer. As you probably know, our Canadian chain of restaurants, A&W, introduced them. And they were just sold out in two months because Canada ran out of pea protein. So our government actually put in a big subsidy into the pea protein industry to basically meet the demand of Canadians, most omnivores. (laughs) who love the Beyond Burger. And that is showing you how society can shift. It's supply and demand. Yes, totally. And it's not like these subsidies have been around forever. They were introduced for very specific reasons to help out with some economic recovery. And then they just stayed in. So it's like the if we actually if if we actually had to pay the price for what our meat actually costs, I think demand will go way down. That's why I think Beyond is so genius. Beyond is just trying to undercut all of the the meat protein pr- prices, right? And it's really smart. You know, kind of from my sanctuary perspective, I always, you know, our role in the big puzzle is really to sort of highlight the individual animal stories and to tell their stories and to just like really try to change perception. But I think if we can work in tandem with that sort of on the ground advocacy, telling individual stories, highlighting these amazing beings for who they are and why they deserve not to be exploited. If then there's like affordable, delicious, amazing plant-based products and a decrease in the meat market, I think we could really shift it in a short period of time that we have to, that has to all be there. Well, that leads me to my next question. So first of all, you have a great positive attitude. And that's why you're the executive director of this organization. Like I I just feel like there's just so much pushback really on as we're just talking about it's so huge. The animal ag industry is so huge. And no one on a governmental level is helping the animals. So the pressure must be enormous for leading animal sanctuaries such as Woodstock just to keep plowing through and doing your work. Can you tell us more about the general vision of Woodstock Farm Sanctuary and the mission and values of the nonprofit organization. And I'm also curious, how many animals do you have at Woodstock? Yeah, so our our key mission is sort of what I was talking about earlier, is that we we know we can't save all the animals that need help. So we save those that we can and we give them lifelong sanctuaries. So the beings that live at our at our sanctuary are here with us forever, putting we provide palliative and hospice care and end of life care for the old older and sick residents. And then we really just try to connect people with them 
in order to foster veganism and animal rights. And then we also consider ourselves a social justice ally. So we really try to highlight, which is why I'm talking about the workers and slaughterhouses, because it's, you know, it's something that we need to talk about as well as the animal rights violations. So it's a really comprehensive mission, but the root of it is that we rescue these animals, we educate thousands of people, and then we're able to spare millions of lives because of that. And that actually what gives me hope because every day I see people that are, that say, oh, I was still drinking and consuming dairy. And then I heard about Joe, the cow that you rescued from a dairy farm. And I learned about dairy and I'm never going to do that again. So that's people that are meeting her in person, but that's also people that are just seeing her photo on Instagram. And it's disarming to see a cow and it makes you actually care about her and learn more about these industries, right? At any point, we have about 400 animals. So that's everything. Anybody who would be farmed, so that's ducks, chickens, goats, sheep, (laughs) my personal favorite. The sheep are always really amazing. Cows, one llama, and chickens and turkeys. So the kind of the whole, the whole gamut. Well, as you know, May is International Respect for Chickens Month, so I can't end this interview without a bit of chicken talk. While we were speaking about the big rescue last weekend, but Woodstock also recently rescued uh, five hens at Woodstock who survived a wreckage of a farm in Georgia after it was struck with tornadoes. I can't imagine how terrifying that must have been for the animals in a tornado because we, we don't even have tornadoes here in Vancouver. It makes me think of the Wizard of Oz, something just like from outer space, basically. But it's a reality in the States there. Can you please tell us more about this rescue and why the hens were at this farm and how they are doing now in their new sanctuary life? Yeah, so it was horrific. So Georgia is a really big chicken farming state. Yes, the biggest. Um, I learned that. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, the, the farms that we're talking about are actually breeding farms for Cornish cross chickens. So they're the chickens that are used in meat production. So they're the ones that, you know, are, get, are killed at like 42 days, get really big. But this is where their moms are. So these mamas are actually in these big farms being artificially impregnated and having eggs. And then their babies, are, their eggs are taken to other places in order to hatch. And so there's these big sheds full of chickens. So one day, I believe 70 tornadoes hit Georgia, which I agree I'm from California. The idea of tornadoes horrifies me. <laughs> um, give me an earthquake any day. Oh my um, gosh. <laughs> so they hit, they hit all these farms. Some of the farms are completely obliterated. So these giant, giant sheds are completely knocked down. So activists, knowing that all these, these mom hens were in there, went looking for the wreckage. And they were fighting against time because meanwhile, the the farmers were coming through and just bulldozing the wreckage and not looking for the birds, just bulldozing. So bulldozing survivors along with the dead birds. And so they pulled a lot of hens out and transported them across the country. So five came to us and they're actually doing really well. Cornish are known for being really friendly. They're sort of, they're called the Labrador retrievers of the chicken world because they're really very gregarious. They love you. They'll look at you in the eye. They'll come and sit in your lap. They'll talk to you. And I've never been around Cornish hens that didn't like people. And these five did not know what to make of people. So they didn't come up to us. They were scared of us. And it was just clear that they had lived their whole lives in this giant, this giant shed and had never seen people. So this terrible life and then lived through a tornado. It's just been like the last week that they've decided that we have snacks. 
so they think we're okay. <laughs> so they started coming up to us and being really engaging and really sweet. Yeah, we're, we're lucky. We're so grateful that the activists were able to go and, and save some lives. Speaking of snacks, I have a friend who has some uh, chickens that he actually rescued from a, a factory egg farm. And he says that they love all food, but their favorite is corn on the cob. I have fed them corn on the cob. They just go after it. Have you noticed that with chickens as a favorite treat? Yeah, they, they like anything sweet. So the corn must be sweet. Um, they also really love grapes. It's like anything that's like uh, yeah. it's fun to yeah, nibbly and sweet <laughs> tends to be their favorite. So Woodstock also has a new campaign about the egg industry called Consider the Egg, which can be found at considertheegg.org. And I'm wondering why you started this educational campaign. Could it be because chickens' eggs appear to be such a benign product of the animal agriculture industry that apparently doesn't kill or harm any animals? That is exactly right. What we were seeing is that when we were doing advocacy, most people understood why we were asking them not to eat animals. And there's been more and more of an understanding why dairy is harmful. But oftentimes we would be, people would be coming on tours. We have about 10,000 visitors a year that come for tours of the sanctuary. And we would just hear over and over again, oh, I'm, I'm vegan, except I still eat eggs. And it like, struck us as like, why is this the one thing that people are hanging on to. And it seems to be just like across the board, every demographic, like it was like, I'm vegan except for the eggs. And we realized it was that people actually have no idea about what the, what happens on an egg farm or that there's death in the egg industry or that how unnatural laying all these eggs is for the mama hens. And so we thought we would do a very, very simple campaign and feature some of the actual residents that we have at the sanctuary who've been rescued from egg farms, large and small, and talk about the stuff that just happens at every egg farm. So not the like really terrible things like this Iowa farm with the battery cages and the deep gang and never seeing the sun, but just the stuff that happens just at every farm. And it's illustrated, so it's not graphic, which has actually been really helpful for people. They don't want to click on something that's going to have a video that is going to be disturbing. They really, they really just want to learn the information. And we've had about just w within a few months of us la launching it, we had a half million people actually saw the campaign, which is a really big deal for us. And we've been continuing to share it and upgrade it. And every time we do a, a, an egg rescue, we, we kind of plug the campaign again. I find it, it's actually kid friendly. It's not graphic. It doesn't use really horrific, scary language. It really is like, you want to know just the basics about why we should all boycott eggs, backyard eggs, small farm eggs, big farm eggs. Just consider the egg.org. Yes, and I was thinking too that I've gone through the website and it's very kid-friendly and it would be a great idea actually in this time of COVID where parents are homeschooling their kids that they could use this as a lesson for their children to learn about where their food comes from. Yes, we're so disconnected. The questions that we get asked, <laughs> I mean, are not taught anything about our food system or about the animals that we're eating or consuming their byproducts. You know, the, I'm sure you've had this experience too, and the amount of people that are shocked when you tell them that cows have to be pregnant in order to give milk. That's one of the first things I tell people because it's, uh, it's the biggest thing that they're actually not aware of, I find. Yeah. And it's because of all the marketing that's told them otherwise, right? That cows are just these magical milk producing creatures that just need humans to, to take care of them by milking them. It makes no sense if you think about it, but it's what we've been told. 
And similar things happen for eggs that we just think that chickens just naturally lay eggs every day for some biological reason that doesn't make any sense (laughs) and that we're actually doing them a favor. It's this benevolent view of animal farming that is deeply indoctrinated into our culture. And so I think if we, you know, like just really simply asking the questions, not blaming anybody for not knowing this, not blaming anyone for eating eggs, just saying like, yeah, I ate eggs for years. And then I, this is what I learned. And this is how I answer the questions. I'm just making it very simple and approachable and non-judgmental um, seems to be the best route for us. Yeah, I think that's the best route for education in general. Thank you so much for sharing some information for our listeners for International Respect for Chickens Month. And finally, Rachel, can you tell us how our listeners can support your rescue efforts at Woodstock Sanctuary, as well as the farm outreach program to connect sanctuaries with farmers who are willing to surrender their unwanted animals? Definitely. So you can go to our website, woodstocksanctuary.org. Sign up for our e-newsletter. We're going to be sending updates. And also you can sign the petition, which will be really helpful. We're trying to get as many signees as possible so that when we go to um, these big farms, we can say that we have the support of X amount of people. It makes a big difference. Also, if you have any farms in your community that are posting that they are needing to kill animals, um, if you could email us, it's just farmoutreach at woodstocksanctuary.org. We are doing contact, so uh, that would be really helpful. We're really looking for people to be the eyes and ears in their local community because we're not going to see all those posts or all that news coverage if it's local. But if you send that to us, we will reach out to them and and encourage them. And the petition results and encourage them to surrender animals. So that's actually really helpful for us. And hopefully together we can save some lives. You can also follow us on all social media, pretty easy Woodstock Sanctuary on all the, on all the different on all the different pages. Instagram is the most advocacy friendly, so we tend to share everything there. You're on our Instagram. I checked the other day. <laughs> we got you. Thank you so much, Rachel McChrystal, Executive Director of Woodstock Farm Sanctuary, for coming on the show today to speak about the situation of the farmed animals these days in our ongoing pandemic and how animal rescuers such as yourself are trying to do the best in this overwhelming experience to save some animals from gassing, community butchering, or being shredded and made into compost. I encourage our listeners to visit Woodstock Sanctuary on their website and social media to find out more about their great work. And from children to adults, visit considertheegg.org for an accessible education on the realities of where your eggs come from. Finally, from wherever you reside, please sign Woodstock's petition asking the owners of 50 big corporate farms to surrender animals to sanctuaries or rescues if there is placement in lieu of categorical mass depopulation. You can find that petition on our website, animalvoices.org, and on the top of our Facebook page, Animal Voices Vancouver. Thank you once again, Rachel, for your time and your hard work in making the world a better place for humans and non-human animals. Have a lovely day and stay safe. You've been listening to the Animal Voices Radio Show on 100.5 FM Co-op Radio in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Please join us for next week's show on Friday, May the 29th. It will be another week of original programming. We here at the Animal Voices Show modestly ask you to keep connected with Animal Voices via the World Wide Web. Our past shows can be listened to on our website at animalvoices.org. 
Our past podcasts are also available on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Join our Facebook page and join us on Instagram, both at Animal Voices Vancouver. To close the show today, we are playing one of my favorite songs called Sanctuary Song by the talented Daniel Redwood. Stay tuned next for Radio EcoShock with Alex Smith. Thank you so much for listening to Animal Voices today. Be safe and remember to be kind to the animals. Someone, not something. You're welcome here with your broken wing or wounded leg or branded skin. This is your home now. Come on in. known the pain now feel the joy what God has made no man should destroy from this day on in the sun and rain you can roam through these fields free And run, jump, and play Till the cows come home Hang out with your friends Cause you are not alone I want to tell the world What they've done to you so wrong I want to sing for you a sanctuary song It means as much to you as mine to me. I know that this is true. Your loving heart reaches out to mine, and the light in your eyes made all. the time this is the place for us all to feel compassion's healing grace and pray for peace for all who share this one earthly home so green so fair Where you can run, jump and play Till the cows come home Hang out with your friends 
Yes, cause you are not alone I want to tell the world what they've done to you so wrong I want to sing for you this sanctuary song May the whole world sing for you May the whole world be for you a sanctuary song 